Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the author's books and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale. I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy. And today our topic is going to be freedom, that great American virtue uh, that we are going to both celebrate and uh, today on the podcast we're going to discuss. And we're going to kind of connect it to our last podcast where we, we talked about the, uh, uh, the decision of overturning Roe v. Wade and kind of the, the cultural ideology that's behind the pro-choice movement, that we're mm-hmm. not just simply fighting on this one abortion issue that yes, mm-hmm. you know, authentic Catholics, we really are fighting for something more. And that's a, a, a world that's based on an entirely different worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things, one of the hallmarks we pointed out um, in our last podcast on this was uh, the that the modern culture holds up autonomy, personal autonomy is kind of the highest virtue. Mm-hmm. And anybody that impedes on that is pure evil. Right. And uh, and so today we want to uh, kind of dive a little bit more into that understanding of autonomy and see that what is what is one of the things that's at stake in this is uh, true freedom, authentic right. freedom. And of course, uh, one of the greats um, that's really laid this out well is St. Thomas Aquinas. We're going to dive into um, uh, an exposition by uh, a good Belgian Dominican, Servius Pinkers. Um, but before we do that, and kind of the way we're going to structure this is we're going to look at kind of the two opposing views of freedom. You know, what is the mm-hmm. what is the church's view of freedom, but also what is this what is the understanding of freedom that underlines this cultural understanding of autonomy as mm-hmm. the highest good, autonomy sure. as the the, the sure. highest virtue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of goes back. It obviously doesn't begin with, but it kind of goes back to William of Ockham. Sure. And so, uh, Dr. Smith, to kick us off here, maybe you can give us uh, some uh, little background on Occam, and then we'll we'll dive into these two visions of freedom. Right, right. Yeah, I would say that uh, Occam, uh, William of Occam, is a, a very good sort of um, example of thinking about freedom as autonomy. Right, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, and as such, is a really great uh, foil for. Um, uh, Thomas Aquinas in his view, because they really are very different mm-hmm. views of uh, freedom. I mean, really, really different views of freedom. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, we'll try to sort of tease that out as we go along. Uh, just a little bit of, I think it's helpful to have a little historical background and a little bit of metaphysical background when approaching Occam. You can really divide medieval philosophy, I think, into two periods, even in its highest form, right? So we think about, mm-hmm. I think about the high period of medieval philosophy covering uh, philosophy in the universities, really up to the uh, Reformation. Yeah. So um, that's the sort of higher period. Before that, there was some some philosophical activity in the monasteries and monastery schools, uh, but you know it hits hits its most its most excellent sort of professional uh, exposition right in the university philosophy called the schoolmen, scholastics. Right, mm-hmm. um, you can really divide that group though into two really pre-1277 and post-1277. That is, 1277 are the condemnations handed down in Paris by the Bishop of Paris. um, I'm going to mispronounce his name probably. Tim Paris is uh, his last name. So Bishop Tim Paris. I think it was 240 propositions he condemned, right? Uh, And really, um, really, 
this is a sometimes an obscure event, but was really um, profoundly important. Uh, had really mm-hmm. large scale consequences. Philosophy prior to 1277 in the university's medieval setting was very Neoplatonic and was gro- and was appropriating Aristotelianism into that Neoplatonic, I would say, slash biblical worldview, right? Uh, mm-hmm. In which you have sort of a, you think about sort of the cosmos and all of creation as a interrelated organic whole in which all of the, you know, it flows down from God and kind of a hierarchy of being down to creatures, including man. Uh, and so there's this uh, return of things back towards God in one way or the sure. other, right? Uh, so it's all flowing from God in this sort of uh, metaphysical picture, right? A picture, okay. uh, as I say, that uh, involves uh, the reality of created essences, essences mm-hmm. which have uh, intrinsic inclinations towards operations, Right, and that all of that uh, is rooted in uh, the plan of God and uh, sort of divine providence, divine wisdom. There was there was a worry, though, by many in the around the church, especially in the University of Paris, that this picture was too deterministic, that this picture limited right. God and limited uh, human freedom too much. And so among the various uh, condemnations, uh, you can definitely say people like Henry of Ghent, but also Thomas Aquinas, right? Uh, and Giles of Rome were all sort of in the, in the target, right? In fact, after the condemnations came down, there, were, there was an investigation made directly to see if the works of Thomas Aquinas violated these. In one of those odd historical turns, the investigation went on and on and they just stopped, like never finished. They just didn't quit. They just, they just didn't finish, right? So we don't know. Um, but uh, one of the propositions that was in particular of interest was whether or not the external object determines the movement of the will, right? Mm. Uh, which is a kind of a fine point. You know, you start to think about it, right? Is it yeah. the case that the external object um, exercises some sort of psychological determinism on the movement of the will, right? And yeah. uh, I don't think that that's true of Thomas, right? But it's also true that Thomas thinks that the external object is the final and formal um, cause, right, of the movement of the yeah. will, right? So it does exercise some kind of causality. Is it deterministically? Well, that's another matter, right? Um, sure. But really understanding that later philosophers like Scotus and Occam, when they're dealing with psychology, they're thinking about those 1277 condemnations, Mm-hmm. Right, they're doing philosophy post those uh, uh, those uh, condemnations, so they're going to kind of err in a direction away from object determinism, right? Right, and that plays a huge role if you think about it in the way both Scotus and Occam develop their views of the will. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does, and I think that's a that's an interesting point, and hopefully we'll we'll get into that when we look at these two views. Kind of what mm-hmm. role does the object play? Um, but also to, you know, we do want to, you know, shy away from, you know, a lot of that, uh, the determinism that, sure. you know, if, if this is, if, if, you know, if this is so, then this has mm-hmm. to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, um, so let's dive into, you know, these two, sure. uh, these two views. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so the way that Servius Pinker is in his book, um, Sources of Christian Ethics, 
uh, and he's a Belgian Dominican, and uh, he he divides it into kind of these two views this is how he words it freedom of indifference mm-hmm. and uh, freedom of excellence. Mm-hmm. And so he says, you know, this freedom of indifference or license, right? That's mm-hmm. another way to look at it. License. Uh, this is Occam's view. And then uh, Aquinas's view is true freedom, authentic freedom is mm-hmm. freedom for excellence. Right. Right. And um, so I guess, you know, let's, uh, as we go through these, let's see if we can, kind of, uh, you know, kind of just paint a picture um, like you've already started. Where, What role does the, the will play? What role does the intellect play within this? Right. Um, do we need virtue? Right, uh, right, what is it right. that's moving us? What is the place of law? Uh-huh. So we're going to look at kind of uh, a lot of these things. So let's begin with this, you know, kind of the, the first point that uh, 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 Pink Ayers points out with the view of license. And he says, he says the, that, you know, the, the difference here, so in license, we have the power to choose just between two things, this or that. Like right, it doesn't, right. it's not, it, one of them doesn't have to be good. One of them doesn't have to necessarily be bad, right? It's just two different things, even between contraries, right? Uh, and then in Thomas's view, the power, uh, uh, the, this idea of true freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, uh, that it's a, it's a choice towards the good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, it recognizes this this inclination towards the good and it's the ability to choose the good yeah right yeah and maybe even choose among goods now i think i'm first blunt yeah. first blush here to a lot of people that's a, a, immediately gonna sound like well that's not freedom right freedom yeah. is the ability to choose between contraries freedom is the ability to choose between good and evil right and thomas yeah. is gonna uh a thomist uh perspective on this is gonna say no right? It's not, right? Freedom is the power, the ability, still, this is important, to choose the good. So you're still choosing, right? And that's important. See, we tend to think about choice as sort of um, almost unconditioned, right? Grasping of two contraries, right? Or one of two contraries. The the, the, The object does not matter. That's right. It's equally an act of freedom if I choose evil. Yeah. Right, right. And Thomas doesn't want to see it that way. This, I think, uh, does, I mean, immediately challenges us, though, I think, in this sense, right? To to think, okay, well, where's Thomas coming from? You know, maybe just one biblical note to throw in here, just in the mix, is to, to recognize the way in which the church and scripture consistently have talked about the idea of sin as slavery, Right. That when we are dominated by sin, right, that's a form of domination, right? That's a form of slavery. That's not a a Mm -hmm. form of freedom. You may be choosing, right, to habitually fornicate, but that's actually not, when you're choosing there, you're choosing in a slavish way, right, rather than freely, right, Uh, or an authentic sense of freedom. I think one of the things that helps to sort of make some sense here then is to Think about it not so much as an unconstrained, unconditional choice as thinking about it as a choice along a path towards perfection, right? And I think a a useful um, entry over there is to think about this, the nature of human action. Thomas, following Aristotle, insists on the view that all human action is for the good, right? So you know, yeah. why do we say that the that the will you know 
the authentic freedom is choosing the good. Well, it has to do with the nature of the will itself, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But how do we know about the nature of the will itself? Well, we have to look to its effects, okay? Yeah. <laughs> right? And its effects are human action. So what do we find in human action? Well, we find in human action is not, of course, that every human action is morally pristine. That would be absurd, mm -hmm. right? But right. rather that human action is always motivated by something perceived to be desirable in one way or the other, right? right. That is, we only choose that an object that, that is presented by the intellect as desirable in some way or the other, either as <clears throat> honorable and praiseworthy or as useful or as pleasant, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Again, in some way or the other. So that tells us that, you know, human action flowing from the will is oriented towards something perceived to be desirable, right? right. So that's how we know. That's the proof. That's the uh, experiential empirical evidence that the object of the will is the good in some respect. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think it also points to, you know, the a key difference here is that, you know, for uh, for Occam, you know, freedom lies in the will alone. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah, in right. Thomas, right, uh, uh, that uh, freedom resides in both reason and the will. Right? right. So that yeah, there, yeah. there there has to be there has to be this uh there, there's this relationship between the intellect and the will mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that uh, there's there's no kind of uh, vacuum that the will operates in, but that That's the right. will is always yeah. going towards a perceived good, which is there because the intellect has taken it in through the senses. And uh, yeah, and, I think that and, and made again, a judge I, and made a judgment about it, right? Not, right, yeah, right, right. So because the will actually is not specifically, it's, the will is not antagonistic to the sensible good. But it's right. not. <clears throat> but the the sensible good is not its proper object, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, and so you don't want to fall right. You don't want to fall into kind of an intellectual determinism where uh, I see the good, therefore my will has to you know has to choose the mm -hmm. good, or mm -hmm. you know that that there there. This is where freedom comes in. Is that mm -hmm. uh, uh, I have the ability to say no, um, but I have to have that ability to choose the good. There has yeah. to be. Uh, that that they are in order sure. for an sure. actual uh, um, exercise of freedom uh, to uh, to to be had to had uh, yeah in this way yeah I think yeah so uh, there's a lot there one thing <clears throat> to say is the will only chooses that which is um, judged to be good or desirable yeah. in some way or the other it doesn't follow that. It necessarily chooses, right? Um, this or that yeah. good. Notice what I said, this or that good. So it's only going to choose something that's perceived to be good. So say you're 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 discerning between pursuing a vocation to the monastery or marrying Susie, right? Mm -hmm. Well, both of those you're those those are only choiceworthy uh insofar as right, they're perceived to be good, right? Yeah. But it's not as if the goodness of one compels, you know, the right. will towards itself, right? That's where you're you're choosing either choice, insofar as it's mo as it's rooted in a perception of the rational good, right, right, is going to be an act of freedom. Now, of course, you could choose 
marriage because Susie just happens to be rich and you want to be rich and you don't care about her, or, or you you know, want to go to the, this particular monastery because you think you'll know, live an easy, comfortable life and that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, that obviously those are good acts, but uh, those would be genuine acts of freedom if you're like, you know, you're, you're like some men do and they're struggling with the discernment, you know, like well, there's Susie and that's good. And, and then there's the monastery and that's good. You know, dealing with both of them. Right. Uh, sure. and, uh, and, and, and whichever choice is made there, insofar as it's well-made, uh, that choice is well-made, it is an act of uh, freedom. Again, point of the example, always and only are we going to choose in response to something perceived as good, but no right. particular good is going to compel the will, right? So right, we right, choose right. freely. Now, I think it's essential in this, uh, and I won't take us too far from pink hairs, but to, to root this in understanding when we say authentic freedom, some people say, well, you're just saying this is what you prefer, right? Whatever. But it yeah. actually has to do with the nature of the will itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, voluntas, right, is the nature is the word for will, right? Mm-hmm. Voluntary is a word that, you know, is an English word that comes, that's derived from that. But it really just means something like, it's going to sound really weird, but uh, the the willingness of the will or something like that, right? Like yeah. something's voluntary insofar as it flows from the will according to its own intrinsic nature, right? Mm-hmm. Now its own intrinsic nature is one, to go towards the good, two, to go towards the rational good, right? That's where intellect comes in, right? So when you're choosing the real rational good, that's freedom, that is voluntariness because yeah. it's in accordance with the nature of the will. The will. Right. It's right. not and contrary I think it, to the nature of the will. Right. If somebody compels me to commit an act of fraud or something like that, you know, or somebody uh, attacks my body, right? Mm-hmm. Those would all be involuntary actions, broadly speaking, sure. right? Because they're contrary to the nature of the will. Right. Right. I, and, I, and I think one thing, if, if, if our if our listeners are already like whoa guys this 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 sounds way too way too complicated for just you know trying to exercise good choices for the good right? <laughs> uh, um, and it's also because and this is one thing that uh, you know we'll we'll make now and throughout this discussion is that you know uh, for for Aquinas that uh, you know freedom is not is not this uh, kind of binary thing where you either have it or you don't, uh-huh, uh-huh, sure, but it's something sure. that grows and develops with the human mm-hmm. person. So again, yeah. by, by, by the, the development of the human person in this, in freedom right. is like you said there, uh, a lot of it is based on true exercise according to the nature of the will. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's that, really, you know, that's when, really, yeah, it's really important. Yeah, and that when we when we begin to uh, exercise these on a more regular basis, right, it becomes a habit and it becomes uh, a virtue. Virtue. Yeah. Uh, so this idea, and also this idea of virtue, right? So this is something that uh, kind of Occam leaves out, right? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. there's really no need for virtue. Yeah, I mean, if you ask um, if you ask Occam, I mean, it's really funny about Occam. Uh, he's kind of. <laughs> He's kind of, you know, wears the black hat uh, in a lot of discussions of medieval philosophy, and rightly so, let me say. I find him fascinating (laughs) in an odd sort of way. But the funny thing is, of course, if you had asked him, you know, uh, is abortion wrong? Of course, right? If you'd asked him if fornication is wrong, of course. I mean, like, he he was not some sort of, like, moral libertine himself, right? He just thought that, that 
recognizing the wrongness of this simply had to do with faith and divine law, right? It had nothing to do with a broader picture. Of course, Thomas would also say, you know, you could know this through faith and divine law, (laughs) but he also said, we can also know this and we can understand it more deeply when we see the underlying realities at play in, in, in sort of the cosmos, but also in terms of the human psyche. Yeah. 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 And the psyche, yeah. And you know, that's a, that's something else that, it's actually, it's interesting. It's kind of a side note, um, but Thomistic psychology mm-hmm. is, is becoming um, more and more popular. There's more and more things being written on it. Yeah, it's great. As well, it's great. You know, which is, yeah. which is absolutely fantastic. So anyways, I don't want to get too far off, uh, mm-hmm. but the role of the role of virtue with regards to um, uh, freedom, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. so for, for the, for the person that's the, so in the understanding of, of uh, freedom of indifference, this license, right? Right. Uh, you know, to just kind of to describe the act, it's, it's simply kind of this, this kind of, uh, uh, it's simply you have two things before you, right? and you simply will will one of them, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's kind of the 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 extent of the boundaries that kind of surround this kind of what 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 Occam would say this act of freedom, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas, whereas for Aquinas, that's all that's, uh, nece- uh, that's all that's so necessary. Fortunate. Yeah. That's all that's necessary, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas Aquinas brings in, yeah, Aquinas brings in the good, the intention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's so many different things involved in it that, that sure. again, reflects uh, not just the nature of the will, but also the nature of the human person, right? The, that's right. That's right. Yeah. The dynamics of it. Yeah. And the key, again, to seeing that is that for Thomas, right, the will has an object and the object is the good, not merely yeah. the apparent good, Right. And so when you're choosing the real good, you're growing in freedom. So you might say every human being yeah. by your ontological status, right, has the potency, right, the power of freedom, right? It doesn't necessarily yeah. enjoy that freedom or exercise that freedom, right? Uh, until, right, they begin to choose and intend towards what's really good and really desirable, right? And that's where you can right. talk about the growth of freedom, maturing into self-governance, right? If you want to use a more sort of Anglo-Saxon, uh, Anglo-American, you know, terminology. Um, that's a that's a good, you know, a good way of thinking about it. Your, you know, you think about like, your children and their maturation process. They have the ontological power of freedom from birth, right? Although they obviously can't realize them when they're infants or toddlers. But as they're growing, you're trying to, you're giving them rules, right? But then you're trying to, to habituate them into virtue such that they are capable of governing their own lives well, right? Um, yeah. And so that's why virtue, virtue and the good are intrinsically tied into freedom, right? Because, yeah. Yeah. right, the object of the will. So again, freedom just means voluntariness. The object of the will is the good. Right. And so it's not, right. it's not a shell game. I think sometimes people yeah, hear yeah. say this kind of thing. They're like, it's kind of playing the word games. No, it's a different view of the will. It's a different view of the nature of the human psyche, right? Mm-hmm. That it's yeah. proper object is the good. And so when you're choosing among goods, right. Uh, that are, But still they're really goods. Like, am I going to read Dante today? Or am I going to read Shakespeare? Right. Those are both really goods. Okay. You know, uh, you're actually growing in freedom. Right. Where uh, just like you're saying, right, that is voluntariness, that is freedom. Right. The um, 
the other side, right? Sort of this freedom of indifference, um, almost kind of arbitrariness, right? Yeah, virtue doesn't belong to the essence of freedom because virtue and the good don't belong to the essence of the will, right? Yeah. You see that, that that's, that, you know, those two different views of freedom are, are ultimately come down to two different views of the human psyche, right? Right. Right. And then, and then again, this is, this is what's at stake is we're, I mean, and in, in the modern context, our world just, you know, uh, takes Ockham where he didn't really want to go. I don't think. Oh, I don't um, think he would want to go. He would want to go to the stake. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's maddening, but, mm. but, but again, that this idea that the, that the will can be, uh, kind of separated from, uh, outside constrictions, mm-hmm. um, and that that is what is that's what consists in an act of freedom right. you know our, our you know where whereas aquinas says no like there there's a role of virtue there's a role for right. um uh the intellect for reason right, right, right you know right. to you know and and this is you know uh whereas the reason and mm-hmm. uh you know the, the the senses the judgment reason all these things this is what kind of um uh, is first there for for an act of the will you know, for the Christian, for right. the modern person, you know, uh, there's, there's no real, um, limit on, or there's no real, uh, object or what it, right. what yeah, is it I that moves, yeah. what is it that moves your will toward this direction in that direction? Well, they say it doesn't matter or it's whatever you want it to be, which can be, mm. you know, my, my pure emotions, right. Sure. My, sure. Uh, uh, acting in anger, right. That can right. be a justifiable, um, because again, my own autonomy is the highest good, right? Mm. It's you know what? That's just the, that's just who I am. Right, right. I'm a very I I'm a very emotional person. <laughs> therefore, it's not it's not wrong for me to act on my emotions for my sure. for my for my will for my will's primary motivation to be my emotions. That's not, that's not that bad. Whereas we would just call that, well, that's kind of, you know, adolescent. That's, yeah. I mean, you're really, you're not, you're, you're actually not acting with freedom there. I mean, think about the sensible good, right. In, in in humans, we do end up choosing in a way uh, the sensible good uh, because we also see it with intellect. We think about the animals, right the animals are moved in a way that's that's not free right because they only yeah. go with the sense perception and they don't have a higher intellect to sort of look at the presented desirable object from a different point of view so like right. in a human being you might recognize um oh this act of adultery would be pleasant and exciting right and your sense appetites stirred by that right but yeah. then you know your intellect judges and this is morally wrong and blameworthy Right. And so instead of going with Sheila to back to, you know, her, uh, you know, hotel room, right. You just leave the bar. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, because right. Even though your senses pull you towards it, even, even though maybe you're kind of flattered and excited about the adultery, right. Um, your, ju- your mind, your intellect judges, but it's morally wrong. Right. And so, and, yeah. and my higher and better good, Right. That what's really right. desirable for me is to maintain uh, my character and virtue. And that's actually being freer, right, than falling into yeah. the slavery of uh, of uh, committing an act of adultery. To speak about uh, a concrete example that's just related to what I just said about what you're talking about in terms of freedom, right, is, you know, just think about the way we talk about uh, 
the baseline of sexual morality today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the baseline of sexual ethics today, there is a sexual ethic, right? And it is between consenting adults, <laughs> right? Pretty low. Consenting Pretty low. adults, anything goes, right? Yeah. So and some so, would even argue. Some would even argue uh, with that. Sadly. Yeah, but the majority will still say consenting. Yeah, adults. yeah. And so you have to be an adult. Idea being, you have the rational faculty capable of making decisions in this area. Uh, and secondly, uh, that it's consensual. That is. Uh, voluntary in some way or the other, right? Um, Now that's a pretty low bar, right? Like as you said, for uh, your your norms, right? I mean, it's a bar and I would sort of endorse it. It does need to be between adults and it does need to be (laughs) essential, right? Um, But what, you know, you want to add to it is, and for for what's really good and what's really desirable, Right. Yeah. And what's really desirable in that, of course, is procreation, education of children and the mutual benefit of the spouses. Right. Uh, and that takes place in marriage. Right. Yeah. Um, so there is a real concrete example. Right. Where, you know, we would see, you know, fornication, habitual fornication, promiscuous fornication. Right. As slavishness. It's not freedom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, you're basically. Uh, uh, submitting your higher powers to your lower powers, right? Mm-hmm. And acting in a way that's contrary to your own will and sure. towards your uh, your own human rational nature. Uh, whereas the man who restrains himself, uh, you know, and then proposes to um, an eligible uh, woman and gets married and has sex with her for the procreation, education, children, all that, that person is acting with freedom, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's also you know for the for the Christian to 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 recognize it's important to to recognize you know these um, these limits and that, uh-huh. this is one of the points is that the modern world would see you know Dr. Smith you're just putting all these limits on my freedom that's how they would word it right right, right. Uh, you're really you're really trying to to uh, push your morality on me mm. you are uh, you're you're setting up you know and and so this idea. And we'll get into this in a second about the the, the place of the law. Does the law mm-hmm. limit our freedom? You know, mm-hmm. well, again, when when uh, these kind of uh, uh, these limits or these bars that are set, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, when they're when they're based on the 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 the, the objects involved in this case, mm-hmm. human persons. When they're mm-hmm. based on the nature of the human person in reality, right? Um, they actually help you. Uh, be more free. They actually help mm, you that's right. ri- rise right. to the occasion and become yeah. virtuous, right? Yeah. To use to use a good example, um, you know, what makes a good baseball player, mm-hmm. right? Is doing whatever somebody... he wants. Doing yeah, yeah, wants. doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm not gonna pitch with a baseball, I'm gonna pitch with a football. Right? I'm gonna run to third base first. <laughs> yeah. I don't I only have to run to one base or you know what? Um, you have to count to 10 before you throw the ball in. Like, I mean, again, like th- this sounds ridiculous and we laugh at it, but, mm. but, but again, the, the, the limits are there to protect the thing that, that we're talking about. Right. They make it the nature poss- of yeah. baseball. Yeah. Right. They make it so, possible to play. Right. Yeah. If it wasn't for the norms of baseball, there would be no baseball. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, uh, a funny example. I don't know if you'll. I don't know if you'll uh, remember this one. There was a there was an episode of Friends where they created this. Uh, I have no uh, memories of Friends. Okay. <laughs> they, <laughs> they create this game that just has the most ridiculous rules, and they just essentially are making things up. Like you know, if you answer this question in in five seconds or something, you have to run around the apartment. 
Like it was just completely arbitrary and right, ridiculous, right, and right. nobody could follow the game. And it was it was it was hilarious because again, there was there was there was like no uh-huh. nobody could follow what was going on, and it was just it was comical. And that's you know sadly I you know that's where we are with like you know sexual morality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it, I think it is interesting that people do recognize that there has to be some bar sure right and and, you know like two consenting adults right so the fact that we recognize that there's some bar here you know it shows that you know okay well the you know we're 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 inclined at you know uh uh, even if we're not fully correct right we're inclined to say you know there does need to be some parameters with which right this 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 thing we call sex is to operate if yeah, it were to sure, operate sure, outside sure, of those parameters sure it would be wrong you know right, right. so we, we recognize you know some uh you know kind of baseline morality yeah um, but at the same but at the same time when if we were to you know play the game of baseball with absolutely no limits right or right, right. you know like again it, it would be it would be impossible to play it would be impossible to 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 say this person is a good baseball player this person is you know, not a good baseball player. Like there's no, mm-hmm. there's no distinction between the two because there are no parameters with which they're operating in that is agreed upon. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, you know, so, so what place, you know, what place in the, in the these two views of freedom, what place do you see uh, the law, the place of the law? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause, cause again, the modern, the modern understanding is, you know, laws um, impose or an imposition on our freedom mm-hmm. right they, yeah they, yeah it's interesting when you think about sort of this standard of consenting adults that is consistent with the view of the will as autonomy or freedom as autonomy right because yeah. you're not going to impose any constraints except that it has to be an exercise of autonomy yeah. right and and really only adults are fully autonomous and if they consent then it's autonomous and that's enough right i think yeah you know now let's be clear about occam Occam, you know, would say there is a divine law, right? right. And that we have an obligation to, to, to follow the divine law, right? Um, right. Under God's sovereignty and his authority. Um, and so, and we'll be punished for not doing so and we'll be rewarded for doing so. Uh, so that's, you know, he's bringing in a bigger picture here. Uh, and sure. then he also thinks, you know, that the Occam has a high view of the civic authority, uh, actually, he writes a good uh-huh. bit in his political theory, which, of course, uh, part of him I've studied the most, about the, the, the really the king is an extension, right, of uh, within certain parameters of uh-huh. the divine law, right? He's there to, yeah. to use the sword and, and punish, right, um, and constrain, right, uh, the uh, sinful populace, Um so you kind of see, right, the king is kind of like just kind of keeping everybody in line, you know, uh, sort of. Um, you know, for Thomas, I think you've already hinted at this, that, you know, you said these limits actually create the conditions of freedom, right? right. You know, if there weren't the rules of baseball, then you couldn't, you wouldn't have the ability to choose baseball because baseball wouldn't exist, right? Yeah. Uh, same thing with marriage, right? If there weren't the rules of marriage, you, marriage wouldn't be something you could choose because, marriage wouldn't exist, right? right. Uh, I would even prefer just to kind of say, not to think of them as limits, but to think of them as norms or commands that actually um, enliven, right? Uh, and support our exercise of freedom. They are external, right? Yeah. 
So that's how they kind of feel like a constraint, right? But in truth, if they are for what's really desirable, right? Mm -hmm. Those rules uh, are conditions of freedom, right? Those rules against our freedom. You think about say traffic laws, right? You know, is there anything inherently wrong with driving on the left side of the road? Well, yeah, but anyways, (laughs) we're just kidding. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, right? But there does need to be a side, right? There does need to be, you know, otherwise, you know, you would say, oh, but I'm not free to drive on the left side, right? You know, like, why not, you know? Uh, Well, because we want you to be free to choose to eat a ham sandwich after you get home safely, right? You you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, you know, like we don't want you to die because then nobody's free, right? Uh, You know, so I think um, in that sense, this is weird. This is going to sound really weird, right? Obeying good laws is an act of freedom. Yeah. Right? Obedience can actually be an act of freedom. Yeah, this is the example. Tell me what you think about this. This is kind of the the, the analogy I always uh, go to when, when especially we're talking about um, law and freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, is you know, a lot of the times people think, oh, you know, laws are these these external forces that are trying to limit my freedom. Right. Um, right. And true freedom is almost anarchy. It's just kind of without yeah, right, right. any sort of law like that. But think about this, like be, because... Because people do not follow the two commandments, don't steal and don't kill, you know, you're not free to do certain things. Like, uh-huh. you know, maybe if, if you live in a city, you're probably not necessarily free to go downtown at 2 a.m. Right. Because right, you'll right. get you'll get robbed or shot. Like, right, like right. this. Whereas, you know, if we think about, okay, let's imagine for a second a world that just follows those two commandments, right? Don't kill, sure. don't steal. Mm-hmm. Right. Would we be more free or less free? We'd be more free. We would yeah. be absolutely, yeah. For sure. one thing, you wouldn't have to carry around a pocket of keys. That's right. Have the freedom right. of that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah Locks, think, about the, think about the janitor, right? right the janitor right. would be the janitor would be the freest man in this, in this instance, right? <laughs> right. So, mm-hmm. right, because we wouldn't have to lock we wouldn't have to lock things to prevent sure. theft. We sure. wouldn't have to, sure. uh, you know, think about travel. Right. Where right. where could we go in the world? Well, mm-hmm. anywhere, if we were, again, if, if everybody was obedient to these laws, right, the world would be a more free place, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so, and, and again, when, we're, when, when the laws that we're following are based upon uh, God's design for the human person right. and, uh, and reason and nature, right? right? When we follow these laws, we actually become more free. That's right. That's um, right. And the world and everything else around us, you know, this is the other part, you know, the, everything else around us we ca- can can enter into that freedom to such a degree uh, that they're able to. Right. right. What do you think about it? Is that, is that, that a, yeah, I think accurate? that's totally, that's totally correct. It, uh, I mean, it, it, in this way, laws contribute to our flourishing would be another way of uh, yeah. putting it. Right. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, it is, it contributes to our freedom insofar as, it makes it possible for us. It creates the conditions, right? Where we yeah. can uh, choose the good, right? And in so doing, act in accordance with the nature of the will. I do want to add one qualification and then one application. Sure. Right? So sure. our qualification is, you know, when we're talking about law, we do need to keep in mind three different kinds of law, right? Right. That is divine law, natural law, and uh, human law. 
divine law mm -hmm. is that you know that part of the eternal law that has been revealed to us in sacred scripture uh natural law is that law of reason right or that you know that law that reason knows right basically the moral law right, right. um uh it's both revealed in scripture and also uh mm -hmm. something that we can know through reason right uh so those are basic moral norms uh that you know we are we should know <laughs> um but then there's also human law right and it's important to say i want to say two things here one you know, divine law and natural law sort of apply sort of universally, right? Mm -hmm. Human law is a little more tricky, uh, is a little trickier, sure. right? Because, um, you know, you think you know, like the law in France is not the law in the United States, you know? Um, so there's going to be some diversity there, you know, uh, with respect to human law. Um, hopefully there's going to be a lot of overlap, right, in terms of it being consistent yeah. with the natural law. But um, it's, it is important to recognize two things one the scope of human law is more narrow mm -hmm. is, is more narrow than the scope of divine law and natural law right? right yeah um that is just so i just want to qualify a good human law will direct us towards something that is really good right mm -hmm. and thereby uh support our freedom you could still have a law that directed us towards a good but was not um was outside the scope of its legitimate bounds. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, so there are things, plenty of things, right? That both the church and right reason teach us really belong to say parents, right? Mm -hmm. That is, it belongs to parents to determine the educational content for their children, right? That's yeah. what's, that's proper to their role as parents and the state must not uh, interfere with that, right? Now yeah. the state can support it, Right, can come alongside yeah. and complement it, right? But ultimately, the parents, right, have charge of religious education, education, upbringing, all those sorts of things, right? The state can do things to support that, but it can't do things to replace that, right? Um, yeah, except where no parents are, like if there's adoption or abandonment or so, you know, that, that sort of situation. Um, so even if the state was directing you to do something good in that area, uh, it has to not violate the scope right, that belongs to it, right? So uh, interestingly, most people don't know this, but the Catholic Church actually opposed compulsory education uh, uh, when it was originally uh, proposed in the early 20th century for several reasons, one of which was they didn't think it belonged to the state to compel, right, uh, in that yeah. matter, which is really interesting to think about, right? It's, a, it's kind of an <laughs> odd issue, but I think it's uh, interesting, right? It sets a bad precedent, right, in a sense. Um, yeah. Now, all of that said with those qualifications, I want to add, and this ties back to, I think, our issue here with the, uh, about abortion, right? The, and this is going to be hard kind of from some ways about thinking about American freedom, but that really obeying the political, right? Even the human law, right? The law of the state um, is an act of freedom, <laughs> right? When it's within its proper scope and it's for the yeah. good. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, obeying the stop sign is, I think, a matter of human freedom. Right. And like when I obey, yeah. I'm not acting. Oh, you're not. You're slavish. You're stopping. No. Like, Slave. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm being a free uh, rational animal by obeying this law. Likewise, when we obey the prohibition, maybe in some states, like in, say, the state of Tennessee in about 25 days, 
um, when we obey the law of Tennessee, which will be that, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong about this, Jason, uh, but that uh, abortions will be prohibited except to save the life of the mother, right? When that's yeah. being obeyed, that is not a violation of your freedom, right? Uh, right? That is, in fact, giving you the opportunity to freely choose to uh, take your pregnancy to term and raise that right. child or secure that child's uh, being raised by someone else. And again, and I think if we were to, you know, boil this down a little bit, again, because our notion of freedom is always connected to what is good, right? Exactly. We, we yeah. that that relationship always has to be there. We can't just simply say that your 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 act of freedom is is uh, in a vacuum. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It can that that it doesn't even have to be between two goods. It could be between two evils, and that's an authentic act of freedom. No, <laughs> no. it's not. It's yeah, choosing one slave owner to <laughs> another. Am, am I gonna am I gonna steal tonight or murder? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe both. Right, rape, rape or pillage? Which one tonight? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, both. Right. <laughs> like so, it's you know, like this. This th- again, the the and this is the again the key thing, um, and. and we can also go back a little bit and say, well, okay, well, you know, what is good? Well, again, mm-hmm. this is why we, you have to know, you have to have some understanding of the nature of the thing you're talking about. What is mm-hmm. good for the human person, yeah. right? That's Aristotle you know, says, similar to the, yeah. That's why Aristotle says that the statesman, uh, before he turns to matters of law, uh, must know about, uh, must know about the good life and the human soul. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck today. Yeah, that's, that's so true. It, when when you think about so many, where where is the you know a well where is there not confusion? But uh, you know when we're looking for like where are the confused points of the 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 culture? Mm. You know anthropology is a big one, and when yep. we misunderstand the human person, we'll misunderstand mm. freedom. When we misunderstand uh, human person freedom, then everything else after that, law, society, the family. Right. Right. All of these things will be completely uh, misunderstood and we'll have, uh, um, you know, the, well, the state we're in now, mm-hmm. um, you know, where when we, when we, let's just say, you know, we understand what Roe v. Wade did, what the overturning did, but let's just say we have a, a ban against abortion mm-hmm. and people are out crying, say, well, you know, this is a restriction on my freedom. Where's my right, my freedom. It's like, well, no, you don't like that's not there. You're you're mm-hmm. you're imagining that um, because, again, you know, it has to be based on what is good, uh, the design mm-hmm. of the human person, the nature of the human person and therefore society and everything like right. that. So right. when we're uh, so, again, the, the, the connection between freedom and the good must always be there. So that's right. uh, for, for our listeners, you know, keep that uh, uh, keep that in mind when somebody's talking about freedom, look for the good. Okay, that 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 has to be there. Otherwise, otherwise, there's uh, everything else kind of falls apart if it's just your your ability to choose between two different things with no right, no sort of uh, um, understanding towards what is uh, what is good, right? That's right. right. That has to be there. You know. um, So what what kind of what kind of moral theory then can Mm -hmm. you does this kind of uh, turn into if you have this if you have this license or this freedom of indifferent view mm-hmm. um 
what kind of what kind of moral theory comes out of it so mm-hmm. you know we can you know that uh, freedom is really just the power to choose between two different contraries right there's no place for virtue um that it's 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 free exercise is uh um free of free of everything else including maybe even further consequences that the law is just this external force that's trying to limit my freedom, right? <laughs> uh-huh. What kind of what kind of moral moral view or moral theory comes out of this? I think you could take there's two. One would be voluntarism, uh, which is Occam's okay. move, right? So the will of the sovereign is ultimately the the foundation for morality, right? So it's the uh, unconditioned, unrestrained will of God right in Occam's view and then that conditions the will of the sovereign and so it's divine command kind of approach right that's not what we're dealing with today <laughs> right um, <Yeah. laughs> because I think really what we do is replace the, the the human replace God with the human will right and so yeah. um, I think what we come up with is basically what people want is a system that secures their autonomy right their ability to be a law unto themselves right so that we will justify just enough we'll have we'll have enough laws to make it possible for me to be a law unto myself right and for my being a law unto myself not to be violated by you or somebody else or the government or something like that um and that that will be uh sufficient now it also it also means like you know even the laws of economics or nature shouldn't really get in the way Right. You know, so like, um, you know, I should be able to choose to, to be, uh, you know, um, a, you know, a slothful malcontent and society should still provide for me and also give me medical care, yeah. and give me free education and blah, 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 right. Uh, higher education. Um, well, those are all things that <laughs> support my autonomy, my being able to do whatever I want so that I could, you know, uh, not take the steps to be able to pay for myself. Uh, provide for myself and still have nice things right isn't that that's the best right yeah that's uh i mean yeah there's so much wrong with that yeah <laughs> like you're just being I, mean, I mean you say the contrary right i mean out, outside outside of just you know it's completely unworkable yeah, that's yeah. impossible to accomplish right? <laughs> i think even the communists would say no we can't do that right man like, i don't know i think yeah. i mean what, what was it the guy at the was it davos said maybe two years ago right yeah like you'll own nothing but you'll be happy you know i mean I'd yeah hmm. eat bugs yeah, private property <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's so it really leave, leave, leaves us in a, in a place where you know we're we're and I think that's a difficult part for the Christian, right? Like, how do you how do you argue against irrationality? It's so it's so difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, and I think you know, I think a way though is to to always point to the good, always right. point to right. you know to uh, and also point to the the irrationality of their their own argument. You sure, know? sure. Um, to see where to see where there's points where it's not it's just not necessarily consistent. You know, we don't need that's to right. be you know, overly emotional or demanding about it, but simply point them out, you know, right, right. well, you know, if, if I have determined that this is good, right. Who are you to say otherwise? Right. Right. Um, and even if, even if my good, you know, uh, uh, constricts you in some way, well, mm. who wins? 
Right. Why, why should sure. your will out, out, out will mine, you know? Right. Like, right. Like, yeah. I mean, it comes down to sort of like a mutual respect for autonomy, but you know, you could always just come and say, but why? Right. Um, yeah. And eventually, you know, you're going to have to get, you're going to, you can eventually push somebody back to, well, it's true that we're both autonomous and we should treat like things as like, because it's more just, yeah. you know, or something like that. In which case you've, you've, you've recognized something that's behind or underneath uh, autonomy, right? And then you should start to correct your moral vision. I think dialectically, what you're always trying to do in an ethical debate is find that point of agreement somewhere. Yeah. Because the truth is, right, the person, and you always have to remember this when you're engaging. The truth is that we're right. Uh, and that that person has a nature that's inclined towards uh, these goods, right? They do actually yeah. seek friendship. They do actually yeah. seek uh, self-preservation. They do actually seek, nobody wants to be described as I just described uh, the slothful malcontent, right? Very few people yeah. say, oh yeah, I'm a slothful malcontent. Right? No, they always try to justify <laughs> themselves in some way, right? Um, it's kind of like, there's no proud coward, right? Uh, for the most part, right? If you find a proud coward, it's a rare, vicious person. You should probably take them to the woods and leave them um, <laughs> because they're truly not part of the human, you know, they can't be part of the human community, right? Um, right. The, um, so, there are the, the truth. So you find that thing, right? Like, okay, but you do actually desire these real goods, right? Why yeah. do you desire these real goods? Like, what's the what's the rationale there, right? Give me an explanation, right? And that could at least has a possibility, you know, of opening us up to um, to these uh, to the fuller view of the human person and virtue. Yeah. And, and to point out, I think also, you know, that we that, you know, even the person who does believe in this autonomy, uh, this uh, as the, the highest virtue or the highest good, right, this freedom of indifference, right, this license, that that it's not that it's not as absolute as they think it is. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, we can simply, you know, begin to, to uh, you know, to point out some inconsistencies, uh, you know, you know, in it. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, where, you know, where we can point out, you know, the, you know, like the, like the law, the place of a law, sure, right? Sure. Um, that it's actually there to help us be more free, right? We want to live in a yeah. society where people don't murder each other. Of course. Right? Of course. Um, <laughs> right? Right, and, right. And the person will, you know, who are you to restrict? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, yeah. so, you know, and if we don't, you know, if private property isn't really a thing, well, then it doesn't matter uh, uh, if I steal your car. Right, right, right. You know, sure. like there's a, and then you don't have the freedom to use your car to go to work, right? <laughs> yeah, you know? uh, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah, and it keeps compounding. So, you know, I think you know, to for the uh, for the, the the Christian out there is trying to to fight against this. Um, you know, uh, listen, listen very carefully, very careful, carefully to the uh to to the argument that's being made and find mm -hmm. the find the spot find the the spot of inconsistency and, mm -hmm. and be gentle in pointing it out right, um, right and right. provide and provide the authentic uh, other side of it right where sure. where freedom where authentic freedom um is something that we grow into it's something that develops and in, in uh, it involves the good, it involves virtue, it involves the will, the intellect, reason, right. like it, it involves just uh, uh, every, it involves the whole person. It's not simply 
compartmentalizing the the human person in kind of a dualist way or something like that mm-hmm. um you know so uh any final thoughts uh especially for the 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 fourth of july as we we approach sure uh the uh, well i think that um just two quick ones one uh that i think you know when you're trying to keep this picture in mind clearly right is that remember that freedom is for the good because of the nature of the will <laughs> and that the nature of the will right is it is a uh, an inclination and power for choosing the rational good so that's what makes an action voluntary is it's consistent with the voluntas right that is it's 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 free when it's consistent with the nature of the will and that's what makes it freedom and that is an unusual today way of thinking about freedom but it's the correct way of thinking about freedom. The second thing I'll say very quickly about uh, the United States of America and our culture and political tradition, I do not think, now I don't, I, I'm not going to pretend that uh, the founders or most of these folks were Thomist or something of that nature, right? <laughs> uh, that would be uh, incorrect. Um, that, was, that said, I think they did have classical, a good number of them had a classical learning in the background and were familiar with classical ideas about virtue and self-governance and freedom. And that's that's all correct. And I don't think that the American idea of freedom originally was license or the freedom of indifference. I believe it was about self-governance. And I think that's demonstrable from the things that were written by the founders, right? They mm-hmm. talked about liberty, but they also just as much about self-governance. And that idea comes with, right, that they're going to pursue virtue. Now, it might be the case that the founders in their broad liberties that they, political liberties that they created, maybe. Yeah. That was a particular theory, right, that they were developing. But even that they saw as the conditions for the development of virtue. Now, you might think maybe they made the liberties too broad or too narrow. You could argue that. But in terms of what they were trying to get at was a virtuous republic, right? Uh, And I think that that is something that uh, we can be uh, grateful for uh, and is worthy of celebration. Yeah. Yeah, again, like I think you you said it very well, right? We're not we were they weren't aimed at kind of just an autonomous Mm-mm. republic, but a virtuous, no. That's a right. virtuous one, right? And the way God created us, you know, is with an intellect to know the truth and a will to choose the good, mm-hmm. right? That's the that's the design. And when we we operate, when we we seek the truth and we find it and we act on it and we choose what is genuinely good, we grow not only in freedom, but in excellence and in virtue and this is you know uh god's plan for the human person right right. it's something that we can uh be happy for and try to build a just society to where this kind of structure exists where humans can flourish and that's our our goal in all of this uh and so uh thank you dr smith and we want to wish everybody a happy fourth of july and uh check out all of our content over at catholicstudiesacademy.com until next time god bless